Well, good morning. Hope everybody's doing well today. It's had a great week. Um, we're going to spend some time just worshiping the Lord again this morning. And remember, although we're not together physically, we're still joined together in spirit. If you happen to have a hymnal laying around the house, or if you would like to look up the words on the internet, we're going to be singing, Blessed Be the Name. Uh, and this is the hymn version, not the modern praise chorus. But if you have a red Baptist hymnal, it happens to be page 50. And if you're looking it up, it's Blessed Be the Name, words by Charles Wesley. So let's just join together this morning and bless the name of the Lord. sing the old rugged cross all four verses if you have a hymnal have a hymnal uh, page 430 in that red Baptist hymnal if not um, take a minute to look it up if you'd like
Good morning. We're starting in a new chapter today, and we're going to start a whole new book in the book of Second Thessalonians. We've just finished First Thessalonians, which basically, I think the main theme of First Thessalonians really was the idea of the threefold characteristics of the church their work of faith their labor of love and patience and hope and their hope was the return of the Lord Jesus Christ and that should be our hope today as well um, they had some questions concerning the return of the Lord Jesus Christ that Paul addressed concerning the resurrection and the rapture Evidently, they were concerned that some of the people that had passed away would miss the rapture. And Paul assured them that they wouldn't miss it, that they would be the first ones to experience it. When the Lord comes back, the, the Bible teaches us that the dead in Christ shall rise first. And then those of us that remain will join them and the Lord together in the air. Now, as we move into Second Thessalonians, we're going to be looking at tribulation and we're going to see that evidently there was this false idea going around that the church was already in the tribulation in this day and time and Paul will prove to them that no you're not yet in the great tribulation um, and he'll teach them the things that will take place so that people will know that they're in the great tribulation. And again, I think he assures them, and we'll see as we go through the book, that the church will not experience the great tribulation. But with that said, we do experience tribulation and persecution while we live on this earth. And that's what we're going to look at this morning in the first five verses of first, Second Thessalonians chapter 1. Is going through persecution and tribulation. The church must expect to go through persecution and tribulation in order to be proven worthy of the kingdom of God. God has to test our faith. It's easy for us to say we believe, but the proof is in our works, our attitudes, our actions as to whether we truly believe or not. Now this book starts off here with a similar greeting that we saw in the other book. Verse 1 says, Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus unto the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice again where the church is. The church is in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He makes sure that they understand that as Jesus claimed while he walked this earth that he and the Father are one. The biblical God is one God manifested in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the Son of God is manifested in the person of Jesus Christ. And Jesus is God. That's part of being saved. If you cannot confess that Jesus is God, you cannot be saved. Then verse 2, he gives them the greeting of grace unto you and peace 
from God our Father, and again, the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, notice that every time you see this greeting, peace always follows grace. You can't have peace until you first have the grace of God. And the grace of God is really a person, Jesus Christ. So he wishes grace and peace to them, and there again, it comes from God and no other source. Verse 3, he talks about thanksgiving to God. Paul always gave thanks, and we saw in our last, uh, last week, we saw as we ended 1 Thessalonians that we ought to always give thanks. We ought to give thanks in all things. And Paul says here in verse 3, we are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is meet, because that your faith groweth exceedingly, and the charity of every one of you all toward each other aboundeth. Now, notice that first he says we're bound to give thanks. Why was he bound to give thanks? Because what was going on in their life was a result of God working in their life. And so there was only one place he could say thank you for what he was seeing, and that was to God. If you remember in 1 Thessalonians 3 and verse 12, Paul there, as he's writing to the church, he breaks forth in a prayer. And he says in this prayer, And the Lord make you to increase and abound in love uh, one toward another and toward all men, even as we do toward you. Paul had prayed that they would abound and grow in their love for each other. So now he's saying, I'm bound to give thanks to God that I see that you are growing and abounding in your love for one another. He also, in chapter 4 and verse 1, <clears throat> he said, I beg you, I beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus that as ye have received of us how ye ought to walk and to please God, so ye would abound more and more. There again, he's saying, I want you to grow in your faith. So he says, I'm bound to give thanks that I see that you are growing in your faith and growing in your love toward one another. Notice he says that he gives thanks always. And notice he says it's for you, brethren. And he said it's the right thing to do. In the King James, it says, as it is meet. But it means it's right. If you ask somebody for something and they give it to you, what, you, what are you supposed to say? Your mama teaches you that. You say, thank you. Well, sometimes I think we have a tendency to ask God for things and he gives it to us and we forget to say Thank you. So Paul says thank you to the Lord for helping this church to grow in their faith and in their love. And that's something that you and I both need to work on is learning to grow in our faith and grow in our love. And the trying times that we face, if you're truly a believer, it'll help you to grow in your faith and in your love. Then he says in verse 4, 
we glory in you in the churches of God. Now, well, all he's really saying is we're proud of you. We're, we brag on you. When we go to the other churches, we tell them, say, y'all look at what's going on in the church at Thessalonica. Look how they're growing in their faith and in their love toward one another. So he was holding them up as an example to other churches. Uh, verse 4, he says, So that we ourselves glory in you, in the churches of God, for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that ye endure. Now here he mentions not only their faith, but their patience. And that's something that has to be developed in our lives as Christians. So the two things that he says we're, we, we brag on you about is your patience and your faith. Now, what brought these things to his attention? It was the persecutions and the tribulations. As I said, you can sit here and say, well, I, I have faith in God. I have patience. But then when it really happens, when the trouble really comes, and you see how you react, that proves whether or not you really have patience and you really have faith. Uh, Adrian Rogers used to say, if you want to see what you're full of, then just let something jostle you a little bit and see what spills out. <laughs> That's very true. Sometimes what spills out is not what we expect or not what we would like. And uh, it'd be good when we are jostled that faith in God and patience and love toward others would spell out. He says, uh, there's two things here he mentions that, that test them. One is persecutions and the other is tribulations. Now let's just take a few minutes and look at these two things. Persecutions. This Greek word that's translated persecutions here appears ten times in the New Testament and it's always translated persecution. Webster's online dictionary defines persecution as follows. To harass or punish in a manner designed to injure, grieve, or afflict. Specifically, to cause to suffer because of belief. Another definition, it says, is to annoy with persistent or urgent approaches such as attacks, pleas, or importunities. And then out to the side, it says it means to pester. We all know what it means to pester. Somebody's picking at you, say, quit pestering me. We know what that means. Now, the one that pesters the Christian is the devil. In 1 Peter 5, 8, we're told to be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil. That tells us right there who our enemy is. He's our adversary. As a roaring lion, it says, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. He's the one that goes around pestering us and annoying us and harassing us. It's, it, all of that stuff comes from the evil one and from the enemy. Uh, the church grows, though, during persecution. Persecution is, is necessary to test our faith, and it's also 
uh, beneficial to us, beneficial to the church. We don't like it, but if you'll notice through history, the church has always grown through persecution. Uh, even in Acts 8.1, when the church first left Jerusalem, it says, And Saul was consenting unto his death. It's talking about after the death of Stephen. Remember, Stephen was one of the first deacons in the church. He was stoned to death because of his faith. And it says, At that time there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. So the apostles stayed in Jerusalem, but the rest of the church scattered. Why? Because of persecution. Well, what happened? As they scattered, the church was planted in other places. So, you know, we get comfortable. We'll stay where we are. Uh, God has to push us to get us to grow and to get us to move out and to witness. Also notice that that, that although uh, this is a different Greek word, the scripture does tell us in 2 Timothy 3.12, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. So if you are a Christian and your desire is to live for the Lord, it's inevitable that you suffer persecution for your faith. Now notice the next word is tribulation. Tribulations just literally means, the, the Greek word literally means pressure. To put pressure on you. Uh, the church, again, must expect tribulation in this world, just like it must expect persecution. Uh, John 16.33 says these things, I have spoken unto you that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Uh, he tells us right there, in the world you're going to have tribulation. But in God, we can find peace in Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ has overcome the world. The world puts pressure on you and I as Christians, you and me as Christians. He puts, the world puts pressure on us to conform to its ways. But we must live by God's word. Uh, Romans 12, verse 2 says, And be not conformed, to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, this word conform means to be pressured, to put pressure on us. Uh, the world puts pressure on us to live in its lifestyle and in its way of thinking. And it uses material things to put pressure on us uh, to get us to conform to the way that it thinks. Uh, look at the, the whole idea of being politically correct. Uh, the world puts pressure on you to be careful what you say about certain things in certain situations, to be careful what you call certain things in certain situations. 
they tell you it's unacceptable. And, and they, they put you in a position to where if you start saying those things, and you don't start to conform to the world's way of thinking and the world's way of looking at it, they point you out as being something evil. They point you out as being someone that's not part of the, the world. I mean, look at how the world has changed the, just the words of things to make them more acceptable. Uh, God talks about adultery and fornication when he talks about sexual immorality and uh, mar you know, marital infidelity. And then over time, it's been changed to be uh, an affair instead of adultery. An affair sounds better, doesn't it? Uh, and now, I mean, the world is trying to tell us that there is no such thing as sexual immorality, that whatever anybody wants to do is, is okay and acceptable, and, and we ought to accept it. So... Now you're frowned upon if you stand up and, and call any kind of sexual immorality sin. There again, they want to conform you to think their way. The Bible says that, that we are not to be conformed to the Word, but we're to be transformed. If you stay in the Word of God, it says you're transformed by the renewing of your mind. If you stay in the Word of God, you will stay at a constant uh, the truth of God never changes. In my lifetime, a lot of things have changed. Uh, I still have trouble with the state abbreviations. They've changed since I was a kid and I first learned them. And uh, I, I don't know all, all of them at times because I remember the old ones. They changed. They changed the rules of grammar. They changed the rules of math. I mean, they're constantly saying, you know, here's the new way to do math. You're coming up with the same answer, but it's supposed to be a new way of doing it. You see, it's, it's constantly changing. The Word of God never changes. The same Bible stories I learned as a kid are still the same today. The same God I met as a little kid, he's still the same today. The same truth that he taught me then is still the same truth today. It never changes. And so if you stay in the truth and the world around you changes, guess what? You're not going to be walking uh, to the same step that everybody else walked. You're going to be different. You're going to look different. You're going to talk different. You're going to believe different. And people are going to look at you like, what's wrong with you? But the whole time is they're the ones that's changing, not you and not God. So he says, and if we live in a way where we're having our minds renewed and we're not being conformed, then we're able to prove God's will. We're able to test it and to know it and to do it. And so it's going to get more and more difficult for you and I as believers because the world is going to change and is already changing and already has changed to a point that, that we don't fit in. If you look, I wouldn't fit in in most churches. Most churches would not tolerate my preaching because I try to preach the Word of God. And a lot of churches, they've moved even from that. They have a more politically correct agenda. Uh, they want to preach little feel-good messages that tell you, well, if you'll try this and try that, that uh, you know your life will be better. Well, the Word of God hasn't changed. We have to keep preaching it.
And when we do, we're going to be in tribulations because there's going to be pressure put on us. Uh, I believe that the Bible makes a distinction between now the tribulation that we, we go through uh, as believers right now on this earth and the great tribulation that's intended for unbelievers at the end of the age. So when I'm talking about tribulation here on earth, I'm talking about tribulations that the church goes through. But I think the great tribulation is something different. Jesus called the judgment at the end time himself in Matthew 24, 21, great tribulation. So just to make a note there, the tribulation that we're in right now as the church, the tribulation that the Thessalonian church was in in their day and time was not the great tribulation. We'll see the difference as we move further into this book. Okay, then lastly he says here that, that what's, Im what's impressive about it is that they endure. We're, we're going to go through tribulations. We're going to go through persecutions, but we've got to endure them. We've got to hold up under them. And that's exactly what that Greek word means, is to hold oneself up. When you're going through trials, tribulations, when you're going through persecutions, you have to hold yourself up. What holds you up? Your faith. Your faith in the Lord. And your patience in, 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 that you have because of your hope in the Lord. That's what holds you up. Here again, Webster's online dictionary says that the word endure means to undergo, especially without giving in. So when you're pressured by the world to be conformed to their way of thinking and you resist it and you endure it without giving in, that, that's what it's talking about. It, it means to suffer. Again, 2 Timothy 3.12 says, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Uh, notice that he says here that your endurance in persecution and tribulation, in verse 5, is proof that you are worthy of his kingdom. That's why the Lord asked us to go through this. Verse 5, he says, Which is a manifest token of the righteous judgment of God that ye may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which ye also suffer. So you undergoing a trial and enduring it, not giving in, is proof to the Lord as, as he looks at your life that you truly have faith, that you truly have hope and patience in the Lord, and that that makes you worthy of the kingdom of God. In Matthew 13, 20, and 21, in the parable of the sower, he talks about one of the seeds, uh, one of the areas where the seed falls, he says, But he that receiveth the seed into stony places, the same as he that heareth the word, and anon with joy receiveth it. Yet hath he not root in himself, but dureth for a while. For when tribulation or persecution ariseth, because of the word, by and by, 
he is offended. There again, that explains exactly what we're talking about. Tribulation and persecution comes to us because of the Word of God. If it wasn't for the Word of God and me having a standard of truth that I believe I should go by, I could just conform to the world and go along and get along. But I'll never be able to conform to the world and go along and get along because of the Word of God, because that's where my faith lies. That's where my hope lies. But some people will hear the Word of God. They say they believe it. They receive it. But it's on a stony heart. It never takes root. And then when the tribulation and the persecution comes because of the Word of God, they fall away from the Word of God and they join up with the world. So they were proven that their faith wasn't genuine and they're not worthy of the kingdom of God. Only those that will endure it and keep going are worthy of the kingdom of God. Uh, also, we see here in First uh, Peter chapter 2, verses 19 and 20, For this is a thankworthy, that word translated thankworthy, is literally the word for grace. If a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully, for what glory is it? If when ye be buffeted for your faults, ye shall take it patiently. But if when ye do well and suffer for it, ye take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. He's making a distinction here between being persecuted for doing what's right and being persecuted justly because you've done something wrong. If you disobey the law and you're punished for it, that's expected. But if you're serving the Lord Jesus Christ and you're doing nothing wrong and you're punished for it and you hold up under it, then he says here that uh, if you take it patiently, he says you do well and that is acceptable with God. There again, God's looking to see, do you really believe what you say you believe? Matthew 5, 11 and 12. Jesus said in his Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. There again, you're in good company. If you are persecuted, for serving the Lord. You're in the same company as the prophets of God. And he says that we ought to rejoice and be exceeding glad. Why? Because that proves that we are connected with the Lord, that our faith is genuine, and that we have reward in heaven. Speaking of the prophets, James 5, verses 10 and 11 says, Take, my brethren, the prophets, which were before said the prophets who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering, affliction, and of patience. Behold, we count them happy which endure. Ye have heard of the patience of Job and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. What's he saying here? James is just saying, if you want to see an example of people that suffered for the Lord, look at the prophets. Even Jesus talked about that when he walked the earth. 
that he sent prophet after prophet after prophet to his children. And they persecuted them. And they wouldn't believe them. And they killed them. They suffered. But they endured no matter what. Proving that they were worthy of the kingdom of God. And he says, just like Job, you've heard of his patience. None of us, I don't believe, uh, I don't know if any, if anybody on earth has really suffered like Job did. He suffered in so many ways and in so many areas and, and, and all right there in a short period of time. But if anybody can relate to him, look at, at Job. He said that even though God slayed him, you know, he would continue to, to trust him and serve him. God, uh, no matter what the devil threw at Job, he wouldn't, he wouldn't give in and, and deny his faith in God. And that's just what James is saying here, that we need to be of that same way. And then look at the life of Job. Because he did endure the suffering, the Bible says that the end of his life was better than the beginning. He was blessed more in the end than he was in the beginning. That's the whole point of our eternal existence. Right now on this earth, we're going through troubles and trials and tribulations, and they seem awful, but they're nothing compared to the glory that we'll receive one day when we're in heaven with God. The end will be so much greater than the beginning. Uh, we'll look at it and say that, that these afflictions were nothing that we would gladly go through more to receive what we receive in the end. So as Paul said, you keep your eyes on the prize. You keep your eyes on the Lord. And so I thought this would be fitting this morning because I know that right now the whole world is going through some difficulties and some trials and tribulations and persecutions. Uh, it's not just believers everybody's going through difficulties. The only difference is the, the unbelievers are turning to the, the world, turning to the things of the world for answers and for help. But brothers and sisters, you and I need to turn to the Lord. Uh, we need to lift up our eyes unto the hills from whence cometh our help. Because our help is the Lord. And he's the one we need to trust. And he's the one we need to put our faith in. We need to stay in the word and we need to stay faithful to the word. We need to, to, to pray and look to the Lord and stay faithful to the Lord. We need to, to abound in our faith, abound in our love for one another and our love for God and continue to have patience as we endure these tribulations. Now, I believe the tribulations we're going through now are, are one thing. And I believe that what we're seeing going on in the world right now is just a foreshadowing of what will happen during the Great Tribulation. The pestilence that Revelation talks about would include things like uh, the coronavirus, those things that we can't even see. The Bible talks about a time when one-fourth of the world's population is destroyed. Another time when one-third of the population of the whole earth is destroyed. A great tribulation is coming. This is nothing compared to what's coming. But it is a foreshadowing. And during the great tribulation, there will step out 
a man on the scene that will be Satan incarnate. And he will appear to be the world's Messiah. And he will appear to have all the answers. And he will say, if you trust me, I will relieve your suffering. If you'll take my mark, you can live in this world in ease and comfort. You can buy, you can sell, you can go, you can travel, you can do things, you can live in this world. And people with no faith in the Lord Jesus Christ will gladly accept that. But the Bible says they'll end up in eternal hell. And there'll be no turning back once they take that mark. You and I need to realize right now that we don't need to put our trust in anyone but the Lord Jesus Christ. And we need to keep our faith in Him, no matter how difficult the times get. Stay in the Word of God. Stay in it daily. Stay in it. Uh, look, don't just read a verse or two a day and put your Bible down. Read it often. Read it at long periods of time. Study it. Meditate on it. Put that in your heart and mind. Turn off the news channel and read the Bible. I promise you, you'll feel better. I promise you, you won't worry and fret like you are if you're watching the TV all the time. Trust in the Lord. Put your faith in Him. The church will go through trials and tribulations. But we've got to keep the faith. Keep our eyes on the Lord. It's easy to say, I believe. But your works and attitude prove your faith, whether it be genuine or not. So keep the faith. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, thank you for this word and this reminder that you are God, that grace and peace comes from you and you alone, that we go through persecutions and tribulations as your children, but you are with us. We can keep our faith in you, we can grow in our love for you and for others. Be patient in our hope that we have in you in your soon return. And we can overcome. Just as Jesus has overcome the world, we don't have to be worried about it because in Him, through faith in Him, we are overcomers. And Father, I pray for each person that hears this message that if they're not saved, that they will be saved today, that they'll put their faith and trust in you once and for all as the one and only Savior and Lord. And for those of us that are saved, Lord, pray you'll help us to keep our faith in you. And as we're tested, to continue to allow it to be proven to be genuine. In Jesus' name, amen. And before uh, I finish up today, I just want to say now that Jessica and I are uh, going to get together and do a, a service, a communion service, and post it this Friday. This Friday is Good Friday. We, we were wanting to get together and do that anyway, but since we can't meet physically, and as she says, the Spirit of God is still with us, we, we can meet spiritually. Um, and we're going to put a communion service together. And I know you won't have the same uh, elements that we have at, at, at the church. But we used to use saltine crackers. Uh, get you some saltine crackers and break them up. Uh, get you some kind of juice or drink or anything you have there that you can use. And, um, 
and, and, and partake of communion because, listen, it's not the, the elements that's important there. The Bible says we do that in remembrance of the Lord Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. And so uh, look for that. We'll post that Friday if you want to participate in it. That'll be great. We love you. God bless you. We are just a phone call away if you need us. Uh, and I, I pray that you're just blessed through the rest of this day.